0: Hello, I'm Cole Peterson based out of Portland, Oregon. I'm author of Backdoor Revolution and host of the ADU Hour, a podcast where we probe deep into ADUs and other small alternative infill housing. Expansive and deep thinking about small infill housing is our jam. You can sign up for information and announcements from my email newsletter at buildinganadu.com.
1: And I'm Kelsey King, a real estate agent and ADU specialist based in Bellingham, Washington. We host the ADU Hour live on Zoom cool interviews, experts in the ADU space, and then we take some questions from our live audience. This week's guest is Ashley Salvador. Ashley is the founder and president of Yegg Garden Suites and Calgary Backyard Suites, Alberta's only education and advocacy-based nonprofits dedicated to informing citizens on the benefits, challenges, and regulations surrounding backyard housing. She is also the CEO of Municipation Inc., a consulting firm that supports Edmontonians in their city-building endeavors. She has experience working across sectors on projects related to affordable housing, climate change, social isolation and inclusion, infill policy, senior housing, and demographic change. Born and raised in Edmonton, Ashley holds a BA, Honors in Sustainability and Sociology from Dalhousie University, and an MA Planning degree from the University of Waterloo. Ashley is currently running for City Council in Edmonton, and we wish we could vote. Cole, you edited this episode. What were some of your takeaways from listening in detail?
0: Ashley has a very solid approach toward her ADU advocacy efforts that are grounded in her academic research. Her research informed her understanding of the barriers to ADU development and subsequently informed her organization's mission. One of the key findings that intrigued me from this interview was that ADU financing is often a perceived barrier, but not necessarily a real barrier. Another intriguing finding was that the $20,000 public grants for ADU construction that were offered to homeowners in Edmonton we simply not tra- attractive enough to homeowners to make them worthwhile. What were some of your takeaways?
1: Ashley's approach to her research of cities as human habitats fascinates and motivates me. I particularly appreciate that her findings support ADUs as affordable housing, as well as the role that these units can play in the development of a sharing economy. My favorite finding being that households involving an ADU tend to have fewer vehicles, shifting the household away from the use of single-occupant vehicles to other forms of transportation. Her advocacy has had many positive outcomes for the development of ADUs in Edmonton, and this is a great episode for those interested in approaches that get results at the city level. Let's get to our interview with Ashley Salvador.
0: Good morning. Good morning, Cole. Thanks so much for coming on today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: And I'm super excited to talk with you about the work that you've done. I've been a fan of your research for a number of years and never had a chance to really talk with you directly. I've read your work because you put some of that content onto accessorydwellings.org initially, and that's kind of how I first learned about it. So let's dive right in. So tell us about yourself and where Edmonton is for those who aren't familiar with Edmonton.
2: Sure. So first of all, Edmonton is in Alberta. Some of you may know it as Texas of the North. It's not necessarily that, I would say, hmm, conservative. We we actually have a lot of progressive policies here, a lot of really young folks who are are looking to, to push city policies in a really good direction. On the, on the ADU front, things have moved quite quickly over the last couple of years to allow for diversity of sizes, sizes of ADUs, basically across the entire city at this point as a permitted use. Yeah. And... Just for a bit of context, we're looking at getting rid of our parking minimums entirely. So if that gives you a sense of kind of where we sit as a a city and where our city counselors are at, that's, that's Edmonton.
0: Yeah, cool. So how did you get involved in doing ADU research and work initially?
2: Yeah, so it actually started in my undergrad. I have a degree in sustainability and sociology from Dalhousie University, and I started to get really interested in... Basically cities as human habitats and the ways that our cities are, you know, helping us thrive, but also the ways that they're kind of detrimental. So from a sustainability lens, I was always interested in uh, the ways that we can help our cities grow, grow inward as opposed to outward forever, endlessly. And at, at some point along the way, I came across ADUs as a way for everyday homeowners to participate in kind of the remaking and rebuilding of their cities. So that's, that's where it started.
0: And can you tell us about some of the key findings of your undergrad and master's degree research in, of garden suites and secondary suites? And actually maybe take a second to just define garden suites yeah. for people since that's a different term.
2: Absolutely. So garden suites would be a detached accessory dwelling unit. Most folks will know them as that. Also known as laneway homes, granny flats, the list goes on. In Edmonton, attached... ADUs, so ones that are typically located in a basement, those are considered secondary suites. So most of my research focuses on detached accessory dwelling units, so independent from the main house. And I've done two studies at this point. One was in 2016, 2017, and one I'm currently doing right now. So in terms of key findings, just reflecting back on the study done in 2016. One of the big findings coming out of that, and Cole all about this, is voluntary affordability. There was a really good study actually out of Portland that did a a full sample or full survey of of owners at that time, and similar findings were were discovered there around the affordability benefits of ADUs.
0: Let's just dive into voluntary affordability, and then we'll go back to other findings.
2: Yeah, so... Basically, what I wanted to look at uh, from my research was whether or not ADUs are functioning as a form of affordable housing, and what the relationship between the owner and the tenant has to do with that affordability conversation. So in Edmonton, it was found that close to half of the people who are building these garden suites are doing so for family or friends to live in. Um, The other half are doing it for traditional rental income, and when you bring affordability into that conversation, it was found that the folks who are renting to family and friends are charging ultra low, sometimes zero rent. And I mean, it, it seems pretty intuitive. You're not going to charge grandma a bunch of money <laughs> the same way you would just a, an unknown tenant. But being able to put that, that finding on paper and actually have similar findings popping up in other cities like Portland, it shows that there is a trend. And it shows that ADUs, in some capacity are functioning differently than a traditional rental property is. And part of that has to do with the fact that these are homeowner developers, right? They're not these big wig professional developers who are just trying to do it for a money-making opportunity. There's social reasons in there as well.
0: So tell, let's go back to the original research. Aside from the, the, just generally speaking that voluntary affordability is one of the things that happens with ADUs. What are some other key findings from your original research?
2: Yeah, so from the original study, I also looked at barriers to development. And one of the biggest barriers at that time was cost and financing. So it turned out that around 70% of the folks who were building ADUs had a household income of over $100,000 annually. So that also brings into question who is able to even benefit from ADUs? And it was looking like at that time, but it was really reserved for folks who are uh, in that higher income bracket. So that was, that was a big finding. One that I like is folks who are building and living in ADUs don't own as many cars. So it, it suggests that they are trying to um, either by choice or just by the location they live in in the city, live a more sustainable, less auto-dependent Uh, lifestyle.
0: So regarding voluntary affordability, I think you've found some interesting things. Can you go into a little bit more depth about some of the data that you were able to derive from your research?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll I'll bring in the current research as well, because there was also some findings around voluntary affordability there. And so if we break down the numbers, if you're looking at kind of a typical rent for a comparable unit in Edmonton, you'd be looking at around $1,100, maybe $1,200 a month. Uh, Whereas an ADU who is rented to not a family member, no, the owner does not know the tenant, it would be comparable, sometimes slightly higher. Whereas if you are renting to a family member, uh, you're looking between that $500, maybe $700 range. So there's a pretty significant uh, gap between those two. And that's not accounting for the people who are just charging zero rent at all. And I think one of the interesting things is On top of that affordability benefit, there's also some some sharing of services. So in exchange for living rent-free in an ADU, maybe your friend or your grandma is helping with childcare. Maybe they're helping with yard maintenance, things like that. So there's some kind of informal economies that are happening around ADUs as well.
0: Can you tell us about, briefly about the objectives and the model of the Cornerstone Grant Program and what your findings were about that incentive program to induce more deliberately infor- affordable ADUs?
2: Sure. So first of all, the two, the two main objectives of the study were to look at affordability from both the, the renter's perspective and the owner's. Um, and the city of Edmonton has a program that is meant to incentivize the development of ADUs. It's called Cornerstones. And the Cornerstones grant basically will give up to 20,000 dollars towards the, the development of an ADU in exchange for renting that ADU for five years to someone who is within um, a defined lower-income bracket. And the city sets that. And when Cornerstones first came out, everyone' was really excited, because they're like, "Oh my gosh, 20,000 dollars. That's awesome. Like that's a big chunk of change towards a project. And throughout my study, I actually found that not a lot of people are using cornerstones. They they had the opportunity to apply, and 75% of people chose not to. And reflecting on that and crunching the numbers, I think, is what makes it seem like a pretty logical choice to step away from cornerstones. So ADUs in Edmonton do function as a bit of a luxury rental. So you can pull in a pretty penny on a monthly basis. So if you are locked into a cornerstones program for five years where you are forced to rent for a lower rate, it doesn't actually equal out. So you're actually, you could potentially be losing money in exchange for that that opportunity cost to not rent at typical rates for the five year period. So we were seeing the cost benefit analysis that people were doing in their heads play out in that research. Uh, so zones isn't that attractive for detached accessory dwelling units. For secondary suites, however, it does make a lot of sense. So that it also comes into play that the cost of the unit you're building. So in Edmonton, a detached accessory dwelling unit averages around $180,000 to $200,000, whereas a secondary suite typically 60 dollars to $80,000 to, to have a functional secondary suite. So as you can see, even from the sheer cost perspective, $20,000 towards a secondary suite can make a lot of sense, and they don't function as that luxury rent as well.
0: Another fascinating tidbit that you uncovered are that costs and financing are a perceived barrier, but not maybe not an actual barrier. So what led you to that conclusion? Tell us some, some of the data behind that.
2: Sure. So one of the big questions I wanted to go into my current research with was really attacking the question around, for homeowners, is is cost and financing a barrier? And one of the things coming out of this was it might just be a perceived barrier. The people who are reporting that cost and financing is a barrier have the same household incomes, sometimes higher assessed property values than people who have already built. So that was a little confounding. Digging a little bit deeper into that. the lack of mature financing products from banks seems to be a barrier so people are kind of getting sticker shock Um, they hear the price of a typical detached adu and they're just like okay that clear i clearly can't afford that they just assume that they can't afford it and the people who are saying that adus are too expensive i can't afford it only 10 percent of them actually spoke with a financial institution so getting people in the door of a financial institution, that's a bit of a gap right now, because people are getting scared up front and not actually making it in the door. And once once you get in the door, there are a number of options. I mean, in Canada, in Alberta in particular, the most common way of financing an ADU is you can get up to 80% of the equity of your main house and then up to 80% of the pre-appraised value of your ADU. And in most cases, you can piece together a project um, using that mechanism. But again, when people don't have a financial product that they see as built for ADUs, it scares them. And there's really only one financial institution in Canada, and that's Van City, that offers that type of product.
0: Let's dive right into uh, that suite of questions right now, because I think that's worth investigating more. So I've seen that. So the CMHC, which stands for, Ashley, help me.
2: Canadian Mortgage and Housing Association.
0: Corporation, maybe.
2: Corporation, yeah.
0: So (laughs) it seems on paper that the CMHC, and this, this is the equivalent to the GSCs, which are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and FHA in the U.S., so it seems as though the underwriting standards for CMHC for ADU construction loan financing are very good. For example, at least on, on the document that I've seen, they allow for up to one hundred percent of rental earnings to be added to income, and they explicitly endorse secondary suites. And they so they allow for, if I understand correctly, future rental income to be class no,
2: not for detached ADUs. <laughs>
0: for internal adus you can classify future rental income potential towards your debt to income
2: so secondary suites have been around for a lot longer than detached adus and so the regulations are a lot more mature there's still a ton of confusion around how to handle detached adus and i mean even even things in our tax code like there's still uncertainty around how to deal with them so at this point all the suites that we've seen built there is no consideration of the future rental potential of that detached unit.
0: For secondary suites also? For
2: secondary suites, I believe, so we've seen up to 50% of the rental income counted towards it, but not. I, I haven't yet to see 100%.
0: So if these underwriting standards are fairly good, why is it that there's only one bank, Van City Credit Union, that's doing this type of loan product?
2: Yeah, so I'm sure as everyone knows, Vancouver is a leader in the ADU space. And I think, honestly, it's just a matter of recognizing that there's a market there. Obviously, it's happened in Vancouver. Van City was pretty quick to jump on it. I mean, we're trying to push institutions here, local credit unions. ATB is a big one that we're trying to work with. To, to get a product together that is specifically for ADUs. And even if it's a branding exercise, that would go a long ways in helping people see that there, there is a, a specific product, there's a niche for them, and this bank can help fill that.
0: Okay, so shifting back to your organization help me pronounce it but ye garden suites is that correct
2: yeah so yeg is the flight code for edmonton so it's yeg garden suites or yeg garden suites whatever you like
0: okay so tell us about yeg garden suites mission and work
2: sure um so yeg garden suites was founded about three and a half years ago now actually just at the tail end of my first study so it was funny i did that study And I spoke with around 150 suite owners at that time. And then associated rolling units published a little article was the media picked up on my, my research. And then people started coming to us because building an ADU is confusing (laughs) and they're, they're looking for anyone who can help them through that process. And they're like, you seem to know, can you help us? And at that time we're like, okay, we'll hold a little workshop or something. Didn't think that it would go really anywhere beyond that. So yeah, we, we founded this little organization, started holding small workshops. I started collaborating with the city of Edmonton, local builders, designers, financial institutions, other industry members, and started holding tours. And things just kind of grew from there. We, we now regularly have usually around 200 people out to our workshops, their day long sessions. We do a lot of advocacy as well. So on the policy side of things, working closely with city planners, to both identify barriers, but also opportunities to improve the regulatory landscape so that more people can build ADUs. But we're also involved in just the infill space in general um, and are big proponents of you know, courtyard housing, any form of densification that's going to help build better neighborhoods.
0: Specifically in Edmonton or throughout all, the whole province?
2: Yeah, so we started out in Edmonton We actually recently expanded to Calgary as well, about a year ago. It's interesting to see the contrast between the two cities as well. And we do have intentions of spreading, for now, across Western Canada. Yeah, and we're in conversations with a a couple cities right now about that.
0: Great. Um, So, like, give us an example of the type of regulatory changes that you organizationally are advocating for in other jurisdictions like Calgary or elsewhere.
2: Sure, so the biggest one is moving ADUs from a discretionary to a permitted use. So that has been a game changer in Edmonton and we wanna see that in Calgary. We wanna see that in a bunch of municipalities. So that move essentially gives more power and control to homeowners who wanna build ADUs. So right now in Calgary, for example, where ADUs are discretionary use, you can put out a couple thousand dollars to get your drawings done, submit your permits, and then everything gets circulated to your neighbors and to your community. And they have a chance to appeal and say, hey, I don't want this put up next to me, or you're gonna invade my privacy, or there's gonna be parking issues, or X, Y, Z. And what that does, it creates a lot of uncertainty and adds an additional layer of risk for people who want to build ADUs because they don't know if neighbor two doors down is gonna shut down their project. So being able to remove that risk factor and just make ADUs straight up a permitted use, that's where we need to get to in cities like Calgary. And that's, that's where we've gotten to in Edmonton as of about a year and a half ago. So we've seen a quite large uptick since then. I actually made a list of some of the regulations that we've had a hand in changing, cause I yeah. probably forget them all. But yeah, beyond the move from discretionary to permitted, one of the big ones here was size increases. So at this point, detached ADUs can be up to 1400 square feet and you can have a full basement. So it's, it's really a house, some sort of small little cute unit in the back. It can be, you can actually have a, a tiny home in Edmonton as long as it's on a permanent foundation, but there's a really broad spectrum of sizes to meet different people's needs. So that was a, a really good change as well. And one of the most exciting ones that happened about six months ago, you're now allowed to have both a secondary suite and a detached ADU on the same lot. And uh, that's, I believe Vancouver is the only other municipality in Canada that's allowing that at this point. Uh, But that just opens up a a lot of doors for people who maybe they couldn't afford to build their detached ADU, but now that they have that additional passive income from that secondary suite, it's possible.
0: I wanna talk about the tactics that you use to get that code changed. And then I also want to go back to that thing that you mentioned brief- briefly. So mm-hmm. first of all, let's go into the advocacy approaches that you guys used specifically for allowing for that second unit on a single family lot. How did that go about? What tactics did you use? Was it successful in general? What approaches are you guys finding to be successful in terms of making changes sure. to the code?
2: We take a very, I would say a very positive and collaborative approach to our advocacy. If anyone's ever shown up to city hall or a public hearing and spoken, oftentimes it's a lot of people who are just yelling at councilors and they don't want change to happen and it's very kind of antagonistic. So we have tried really hard over the last 3 years to show up as a as a partner to the city, as an organization that can, you know, tap into community members, tap into industry and operate in that space between city community and industry kind of bringing all of those different groups together and finding alignment and shared visions we've had a lot of success with that so for the basement suites and garden suites change it was funny the city actually already allowed people to have uh, secondary suites in a duplex or semi-detached house okay so if you count that you have the duplex and then so that's two units and then you have two units in the basement that's four units right so we came in saying, we're just asking for three. We just want a single family home, a secondary suite, and then a detached one in the back. You already allow four, like this is just three. So being able to help them see the sense in some of these changes, that's, that's what we like to do. We like to make it very, very plain and simple. We're not asking for a lot and then having people show up. So they get tired of hearing us speak. <laughs> so we have a really big Rolodex of homeowners they don't show up at city hall typically. They just wanna be able to you know, build a house for their grandma in the back and having them share their direct stories, it can be really, really powerful um, when you're up in front of legislators.
0: Awesome, uh, yeah, we've had similar approaches and similar successes using that same approach. So that's great. Um, <clears throat> so going going back to the point you made about this provision that allows for detached ADUs to be up to 1400 square feet, This is is a novel thing. Usually ADUs are limited to less than that. Even in California, where it's very aggressive with this, they allow ADUs to be up to 1,200 square feet, and that is shocking for those of us who are limited to 800 square feet. And I guess this is more of an observational point than anything, but as we start to see regulations that allow for units that are bigger than the primary house as a secondary or as an accessory dwelling unit, it really it it starts to open up our conception of what the fundamental goals here are. And in some ways, I think you and I are in alignment on this that Idius are kind of just a way to bust open the door for allowing for creative infill housing typologies. it is one way to do it. And then ultimately we're talking about middle housing in general and different allowances on those properties. Do you have any thoughts about that?
2: Absolutely. We like to joke that ADUs are like the gateway drug for (laughs) sort of the the medium density, medium scale type developments that we ultimately need to see in a lot of these neighborhoods. ADUs are very palatable. I don't know if you have uh, narrow lot homes down in, in Portland, but in Edmonton, most of our lots are around 50 feet wide. And probably about 10 years ago at this point, the city allowed subdivision down the middle. And everyone was just up in arms about these narrow lot, skinny lot homes, and there was a big rally against them. So when when garden suites and ADUs started to come on the scene and become a bit more popular, they were seen as like this awesome alternative. And oh, I'd much rather have that next to me. We've worked really hard to humanize ADUs as well, and make it not just about a building, but it's about the story behind it. It's it's about grandma. It's about allowing your university age children to, to age next to you, whatever, right? And once people are okay with that, you can start to broach the conversation of, okay, well, what if that 1,400-square-foot ADU, what if it was a duplex? What if there was like a duplex in your backyard? Instead of one unit, maybe there's two. Maybe it has a basement suite in it. doesn't really matter. And Edmonton's getting there, actually. So we, we have a new use class that's just classified as multi-unit housing. And it allows for any configuration you like of units a lot, as long as you're within the, the unit count. So you could have a duplex in the back, a duplex in the front, you could have courtyard housing. So it's, it's getting really creative here. And that's ultimately what we love to see.
0: Yeah, awesome. So secondary suites, for whatever reason, have had more broad adoption in some, at least a handful of Canadian cities than internal ADUs have in the US. Can you give any understanding of why that has been the case in Canada?
2: Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this one. I don't have a great answer other than we have allowed secondary suites since 2001 here. So it's been almost 20 years. And right now in Edmonton, we have around, the last time I checked, I think around 5,500 internal ADUs. So it could just be a function of we've allowed them for a longer period of time. And I know like all homes here have basements. It's very unusual to see a house that's just built kind of on slab. So that could be another factor. People just trying to make use of that additional space. Yeah. Adam, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any ideas?
0: I mean, I think, I think you, the, your your last point there is probably the most relevant point, which is all the homes there basements and i think like in dc for example all the row housing there has basements too so while their adu codes aren't necessarily very um, permissive there's a lot of informal adus in in basements and so i think that and i think it has to it's a combination of the economy or the the market demand for housing and the structural forms that are there and then If the regulations allow for it, then yes, there'll be more legal permitted units. So that's one theory. Okay, so in Canada, outside of your province in general, what are some other, like, of the most common and significant regulatory barriers that you're seeing that still need to be addressed in, in Canadian cities for ADUs?
2: Yeah, so beyond, again, beyond the discretionary to permitted, I think any any regulation that ties the built form of the ADU to the primary house that has to go so we used to have regulations that tied the height of the ADU to the main house so your ADU couldn't be higher than your principal dwelling and there's a lot of bungalows here so that would limit all the ADUs to be bungalows and i mean it it kind of it overlooks the fact that our cities are constantly evolving and being remade so if you have like Know like a 1950s bungalow on the front that's half falling down and you're gonna redevelop it in five years, then why should this new development be tied to the 1950s, right? So that that's problematic in a lot of jurisdictions. Same thing goes for size. I don't think it's necessary to say that your your ADU needs to be smaller than your principal dwelling. Again, just ties things to the past. Parking regulations are a big one. So in, in Calgary right now, you have to have two parking stalls for the main house. If you build an ADU, you need another. So that's three stalls on a lot. And that really limits what you're able to build. So a, a lot of the ADUs that we see here in Alberta, in, in Canada, really, other than Vancouver, are above a garage. So it's a box on box style, two car garage, and then your ADU or your living spaces above. So if we were to eliminate parking requirements or even reduce them, and we're starting to see that, like a number of municipalities will have TOD, transit oriented development zones, where if you're next to an LRT or high frequency bus line, you don't have as as high parking requirements. So you can actually get more livable space into these homes, it starts to make more financial sense because you're renting a two-bedroom versus a studio, and it just feels more functional. One of the findings I forgot to mention from my first study was that there were zero children living in ADUs. <laughs> like it was, it was all single individuals or couples without kids, and if we're looking to integrate more family-friendly units into these neighborhoods, they can't be so small and they can't be kind of subsidiary to parking space so that's that's a big one and I'm super excited that Edmonton next month is very very likely going to be just wiping all parking requirements
0: yeah yeah Portland's yes. doing that same thing too I, I don't know how many other cities are doing that in either Canada or the U.S. but I'm pretty excited
2: there's only like eight or nine that have completely done it
0: huh So, given your research on this topic, do you have any insights to share about who will actually build two ADUs on their property for the new code? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so one group that we see as kind of the, I guess, the front runners in wanting to do those two units would be the investor types. So, a lot of people who were savvy real estate folks, when secondary suites came out, they jumped on it. They're like, absolutely, passive rental income in my basement, let's go. And for the longest time they've been locked out of having the, the detached ADU as well. So there's like when this regulation came came up, there was a long lineup of people just like waiting to build that. So they were definitely the early adopters. I mean it could it could also make sense for for young families who are looking to buy into a neighborhood that maybe they can't can't afford it without those additional passive incomes. So it, it helps people build or move into neighborhoods that are pretty nice, pretty central, lots of amenities, and and desirable.
0: Lastly, I I think people are going to be curious about your research. Can you tell people how they can go about finding it when it's going to be available?
2: Yeah, So (laughs) This is like the worst question to ask a a student, a master's student. When is it going to be done? Uh, (laughs) It should be done August, September is what we're aiming for it'll it'll be published on my university's website but i'll be sharing it all over social media i'm sure and yeah if if we can do another accessory dwellings article that would be great too
0: yep so so accessorydwellings.org for those who want to see this research and i I think it'll be great and you can find ashley's previous research on accessorydwellings.org too which i would encourage people to read through it's really insightful and a lot of good numbers and data, even though it's a small sample set. So that's what we have to work with. There's only been a few studies anywhere in the world of permitted ADUs, and so this is one of them.
1: That wraps up the interview portion of this episode of the ADU Hour. As a reminder, these episodes are the edited audio version of interviews that we conducted via a webinar series good news, you can access the full video series via Cole's website, buildinganadu.com. Now for the second half of the show, I curate questions from the audience that gives our guests the opportunity to dive deeper into a topic or address new ideas and questions. So we're going to start with David Wade. David mentions that the prices that you mentioned for building an ADU in Canada is quite a bit less than what um, we're working with here in the U.S. and Portland and Bellingham. Um, in, in California. So he's wondering, what evidence have you seen that construction costs less in Canada than the U.S.? What kind of cost figures can you give to compare those? Why Canada might be less cost less than the U.S.?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So it's interesting because we we talk with folks in Vancouver quite a bit, and if you're looking to build an ADU in Vancouver, it's like. $300,000, which is almost like, like double uh, what the starting cost of an ADU here in Edmonton is for kind of a similar sized unit. So I don't necessarily think it's Canada on the whole, that is just more affordable. I think it really depends on what market you're in. So Vancouver is obviously a very hot market, Edmonton not so much. So that, that definitely could play into it. And I'm sure that things vary city by city in the US as well.
0: Yeah, and the numbers aren't—I would say—not are not dramatically less, right? So the average. Can you give some of those average figures again for the all-in cost for like an eight hundred square foot? Yeah,
2: for for like a eight hundred square foot detached ADU in Edmonton, between like one hundred ninety to two hundred thousand dollars is pretty typical, and that's basic finishing, nothing crazy.
0: Yeah. And that, that's actually, I'd say, pretty comparable. Portland's like two, $210,000 for 800 square foot yeah. ADU, according to my, le, my last year's data. So not that far off. Yeah. yeah.
1: Moving on to another one of David's questions. So a few developer families have successfully used the condominium ownership model in the U.S. to finance
2: and build ADUs. Have you heard of anything similar uh, occurring in Canada? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're actually looking at doing something like that here in Eppington. There was a pilot project a couple of years ago that looked at actually subdividing off the detached ADU from the main house. It actually came out of an infill design competition. Someone suggested, hey, there's a lot of seniors who would like to build an ADU, but they don't necessarily have uh, the financial backing to do so without being able to sell part of their lot. So that's where the idea came from. The pilot went through a couple properties, participated in that pilot, and we're just in the phase now where we're kind of, you know, figuring out whether or not they're going to apply it citywide. Now, that's one option. The other option is the condo or strata title route. And we think that the condo route is probably the best option. It has yet to be done in any cities in canada that i know of but i think that there's just a ton of interest there like we meet we do individual consultations as well and we meet with people on a weekly basis who are like i really 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 want to do it but it only makes sense if i can either sever it via condo subdivision strata and that's kind of a deal breaker for a lot of folks so i think that's the next step for for a lot of cities and eds
1: okay Thanks,
2: Mary. I'd like to know: Does the city of
1: Edmonton charge impact fees for ADUs, and if so, what are the cost
2: of those? Yeah, so I mean, it really it varies for the utility side of things. On the development and building permit side, around 2,500 bucks is pretty typical for utility connections. If you, so, we have a lot of lanes here. I'm not sure what the built form is like in everyone's city, but we have kind of a secondary street running behind everyone's house. And that's where our utilities are in most cases. So it's really easy, it's a short distance to connect utilities to a detached ADU. In those cases, it's six, maybe $7,000 to to get you hooked up to servicing. Um, Sometimes utilities are in the front though. And in those cases, you either have to have a very, very long trench going all the way to the back. Um, Sometimes you can connect into the main house and then come up. And if that's not an option, you have to directionally drill. You have to like drill under and then push the utility lines up and that can be anywhere from 10 to 20 thousand dollars
1: the the only other one i had and i'm not sure if you would necessarily know the the difference between the rental rates of a
2: detached and a secondary suite yeah so detached units typically will rent between i mean it really depends on your neighborhood and your location and this quality of the suite but 30 to 50 percent higher a detached unit you're not sharing a wall it's basically a detached house right like it's it's its own unit it's the second best thing to owning in a neighborhood some people even prefer renting so you get all the all the same amenities all the same benefits of living in the neighborhood just a, a rental option versus ownership
0: and as you just for clarification since since the Canadian dollar is worth Different than what's well, a different amount than the U.S. Are we talking U.S. dollars or Canadian dollars? When you're all
2: these have all been Canadian
0: dollars. Okay, so twenty five hundred <laughs> Canadian dollars is how much U.S.? That's like two thousand dollars U.S. or something.
2: I believe so. I'd have to check. I should have said that off the bat. Yeah, all Canadian dollars. <laughs>
0: of course. Why wouldn't you be thinking that way? So that does mean that it is less expensive there than here for building an ADU and for permitting an ADU, ADU. But I think I think it kind of more or less is going to correlate with the cost of land there. I mean, that's more or less in the U.S. too, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the ADU Hour. New episodes will be released weekly.
0: The ADU Hour audio podcast series includes some of the interviews that were part of the live show. The unedited full-length version of all of the episodes is now available in audio format. register for the 80-hour series to gain immediate and indefinite access to all new and all shows. You can also find 80 courses for homeowners, real estate professionals,